0: Welcome to Community Christian Anywhere. We are an online community of people who believe that even though life can be difficult, complicated and tiring, Jesus offers a life that is easy, light and full of rest. And the life Jesus offers isn't simply membership to a religion or personal philosophy of life, but he offers to transform us into people who live and love just as he did in this world. And so we want to be a community who are committed to loving everyone just as Jesus has loved us. And so no matter who you are, what you believe about God or what you have done, we want you to be a part of this Jesus movement to love everyone always. And what we hope is that throughout our time together, you experience that God loves you and cares about your life. In fact, we say all the time, no matter what you think about God, we believe He can't stop thinking about you. We believe He is for you and He only has good things for your life. And so no matter where you're watching this from, on your phone, on your lunch break, hopefully not while you're driving, we believe that God is present with you right now. And if you can stay open to that, I believe He wants to make Himself real to you. And if at any point during this video, you have a question or maybe you feel God is speaking to you and you wanna speak to someone about that, there will be a number on the screen the whole time. You can text that number at any point and our speaker for the day or someone from our team will respond as soon as we can. Because even though right now this is just a video you're watching, we hope that your interaction with us moves from just being content that you consume to community that you're committed to. And one quick and easy step you can take to get more involved with our community here is to join our Facebook group. Simply go to our Facebook page Church for Rest of Us and click on the tab in the corner that says Groups. You'll see one there for our in-person campus and one that says Community Christian Anywhere Group. That's the one for you. Simply click on that group and then click the join button to take one easy step toward being more involved with our community here. I hope to see you there. And right now, let's get into our main idea for the day.
1: For the past few weeks, we have been in a series talking about the addiction to outrage that exists in our world. This addiction we have to an us and them mentality. We seem to be infatuated with picking sides and pointing fingers and blaming others for the problems in our world. And Christians are not exempt from this. So from the first week, we said, before I ever point fingers at another person, the first thing I do is to follow Jesus' advice take the plank out of my own eye, so I can clearly see to take the speck out of my brother's eye. It's natural for humans to see a problem, and our first reaction is to point the finger at someone else. You know, racism, that's their problem. It's not mine. Climate change, it ain't on me. It's on them. You know what's wrong with this world? It's the Democrats, the liberals, the Republicans. It's Trump. It's not me. And we said, The way of Jesus is to begin with repentance, which means to examine where my thoughts and beliefs and my words and actions have contributed to the problem. Where have I failed? I own my part of the problem. And then we can move forward together into the kind of world Jesus wants to bring. Because Jesus did not come to bring a religion, some little side part of your life that makes you feel less guilty or depending on your religion, more guilty, but like a guilt that actually feels a little good for how bad you actually feel. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Jesus didn't come to give you a little religion to make your life a little better, but he came to bring a new kingdom, a new way of doing life that would override every other kingdom in this world. Our first allegiance isn't to whatever nation we were born into or to a flag or to a political party, or to our ethnicity, or our gender, or our group. Our first allegiance is to say, Jesus is King, and that means no one else is. In fact, on the first week of this series, our senior pastor, Ed, challenged us to stop viewing our faith through our politics. Meaning, stop deciding that whatever you politically believe must also be whatever Jesus believes. Have you ever noticed that everyone believes that Jesus would vote for their candidate? I mean, that there's some verse or saying of Jesus that backs up the conservatives, and there's a different one that backs up the Democrats, and every person assumes Jesus is on my side of the fight. Because what we've done is we've taken what we believe about Jesus and we ran it through our political filter. We run Jesus through the capitalism filter or the socialism filter, and we think, see, Jesus was a free market guy, or Jesus was a universal healthcare guy. And we allow our politics to drive our faith. But we've been challenging everyone who calls themselves a Christian. So once again, if that's not you, you can just sit back and enjoy the show because you're not bound to Jesus and his kingdom. But I do believe that the sermon today will give you a good picture of what we really do believe Jesus brings to our world. Now if you are a Christian, we've challenged you to see your allegiance as being to Jesus as King above everything else. Not as an American, or a Republican, or a Democrat, not as a white man or a black woman, but as a disciple of Jesus above everything else. And then I make my political decisions by running them through the filter of King, Jesus and I don't know what you think about Christians running their politics through their faith but if you want to text me through the number on screen I'd be happy to talk with you about it but here's what I think we've been learning for the past few weeks talking about this our world would be an entirely different place if every person who followed Jesus and not every person in the world this isn't about trying to legislate what you believe and make you believe what I believe or live how I would live I'm saying if simply every person who follows Jesus would start to make decisions based on how Jesus would live in this world, our world would be a better place. There would be more equality, not less. There would be more justice and the world would be more the way it should be. There would be less of a divide between rich and poor, less of a gender divide, less of a racial divide. If all of those who claim Jesus as their king would actually let him be king of their lives, Certainly if the people in power in our country would just take the step that we talked about in week two of owning up to their part of the problem, things would change. And we took a page out of the 12-step recovery program and said that all of us need to do a fearless moral inventory of their souls. I mean, don't you think if our leaders would admit, I have contributed to the problems in our country either by my direct action or some inaction on issues, and things would start to change. I mean, our country is hungry for those in power to be accountable. People of color and the historically disenfranchised in our country are crying out for justice. Would admitting our failures fix everything? No, but it would be a step. We can't move forward on a problem if we can't see it clearly. And so if we think people in power need to do this, then we must do this as well. I must admit my part of the problem. Why? I don't have any power to change anything. It's not why we do it. But I didn't cause this problem. It's not why we do it either. We do it because our King told us to. He said, first take the plank out of your own eye. So that's what we've been trying to do for the past few weeks around here. And today, we're going to take things a step further. We're going to talk about what it actually means to live with Jesus as King of our lives, which we as Americans have to admit That's hard for us. Everything about America is anti-king. I mean, we fought a war over not having a king. Didn't you watch Hamilton on Disney Plus? We wrote a declaration of independence to make sure we as individuals could decide our own fates. No one else could tell us what to do. We don't need a king. But today, I'm gonna propose that we do. We need Jesus as king. And we don't need a declaration of independence. We need a declaration of dependence. Dependence on God now that may raise a lot of objections for you It may raise a lot of fears for you And so please don't just turn this off reach out to me tell me how I'm wrong ask a question start a conversation By texting the number on screen Please stick with me through this because I believe it's the best way for us to live and the road out of this age of Outrage that we're all in right now But before we move on I want those of us who follow Jesus to remind ourselves of the commitment that we've already made to Jesus being our King, why we trusted Him in the first place. We're going to sing a song that reminds us that He is the only one worthy of being the King over our lives because He is good and He will never let us down.
2: Gonna let you're never gonna let me die
1: So the Bible makes clear that the central problem for humanity is a lack of humility. It's what the Bible calls pride. It's the desire to be the king of our own lives. It's really the desire to be God over our own lives. We want to be in control. We want to call the shots. And pride leads us to kick God off the throne and to grasp control for ourselves. I mean, let's be honest. Isn't that what every war has been about? It's control. It's power. Isn't that what's at the root of racism, sexism, classism, nationalism? It's a desire to dominate others, to have control and power over them. It's pride. It's a desire to be king, to play God for ourselves. Well, thousands of years ago, God had a nation of his own. And some of you are thinking, what? Not America? No, the nation of Israel. And originally, they didn't have a king. God was their king. He spoke to them through prophets and leaders known as judges, and whatever God said was law, like literal law, 10 commandments, and a whole bunch of other laws. He got to be in charge. But eventually, the people didn't want God to be their king. They wanted a human king to rule over them. It just didn't seem wise to let God be their king. It didn't seem very modern to them. I mean, seriously, they look around at all the other nations and they go straight back to junior year of high school. God, everyone else has a king. Why can't we have one? We're going to be the only girls at the dance without one. And so they tell the prophet of God, Samuel, that they want a human king. God had been their leader, and he had used Samuel to teach the people what he said. But as Samuel got older, he had appointed his sons to lead them and they had done an admittedly horrible job. And so the people say, hey, since we need to get rid of these guys anyway, how about we get a king and stop having these prophets tell us what God wants? Let's just get a good and smart leader who can make the decisions for himself. And Samuel is bothered by this because he feels rejected. But here's what God says, do everything they say to you The Lord replied, for they are rejecting me, not you. They don't want me to be their king any longer. Samuel, the issue here isn't that they don't like their current leaders. They don't want to listen to me anymore. They've rejected me, not you. God sees right through all their politics. This isn't an issue about getting the right person in office to lead us. It's an issue about wanting control. You don't really care who the person is in office as long as they are on your side. You'll take anyone over God. And at its core, this is what Jesus came to rescue us from. He came to be king, to establish a kingdom that would never end. And anyone who wants to live with Jesus as their king is made a citizen of this kingdom. But Jesus being made king was a problem for the political leaders of his day. It's what got him killed. And while he's on trial, the main charge they can bring against him is that he's trying to start a rebellion and make himself king. So the Roman governor asks the people, "'Shall I crucify your king?' Pilate asked. "'We have no king but Caesar,' the chief priest answered." And it's hard to understand how offensive this was, and not just to Jesus. It would have been offensive for the chief priest to claim allegiance to a king who wasn't God. It was considered like heresy or treachery to call anyone other than God their king, especially a godless man like Caesar. But they're saying, anyone but Jesus. And with that, Jesus is taken to be killed. They would have publicly said that their political allegiance was to God as king, but the politics were king, not God. And here's where this gets really personal. This is where we have to take the plank out of our own eye. Publicly, we may shout God is king of our politics, but our personal lives, they do not show that. In fact, you hide behind your Christian politics and you claim that Jesus is king of your life when really, he's not even close. I mean, some of you have been amening this whole time because you talk about how our country needs to turn back to God and your politics or Christian political views because you want to get prayer into schools and get creationism taught into schools because you want to uphold the truth of God. But it's been nearly six months since your kids have been out of school and you've not prayed with them. You've not read the Bible with them. You've not done the free See Kids Online material we provide every week. And let's be honest, you're not doing any of that for yourself either. So your kids can look at your life and your schedule and your habits and they can or they one day will see. This is not that big of a deal for mom and dad either. So your politics may value the truth of God. But let's be honest, you don't. Some of you have politics that you claim are Christian because you talk about the value of every human life, including unborn children. And you follow a Jesus who elevated the dignity and value of every life. You have children and you're not supporting them. Or you have adult children who you feel have slighted you in some way and so you've cut them off or you don't speak to them anymore or you speak terribly of them when they're not around. Or you do relational violence to people because you're the first to ghost someone or cut them out when they've slighted you or you do verbal violence to others. You call people Nazi or snowflake or some other demeaning term when they're someone that you find despicable. And so your politics may value every human life, but you do not. Some of you have politics that say that those with money should take care of those without. And you post memes and posts about how the wealthy have ruined our country. And then others of you believe, hey, the government should stay out of all of that. It's ordinary citizens like you and me that should do it. And both sides claim that Jesus is on your side. But you make pretty good money and you don't regularly do anything to help anyone in poverty. You don't give money or any time or any service to any organization that is doing anything about poverty in our world. Or you do it on the holidays to make yourself feel a little better, but it's not a regular priority for you. Your politics care about the poor, your politics care about the little guy. You do not. And so you can claim Jesus is king of your politics, but he's not king of your parenting, he's not king of your sex life. He's not king of your porn addiction or the pills you hide in your closet. He's not king of your marriage or your side chicks or the taxes you cheat on or the business forms that you've lied on or the people you've refused to forgive or the people you look down on or the prejudice you hold in your heart or the social media posts you use to bash your political enemies. And so let's just be honest. He's not king of your politics either. Your politics are king. Your desires are king. And Jesus is just a little religion that decorates your life. It's not enough to have the right political opinions. If we are not fully submitted to Jesus as king, then we are saying, I'm the king. And I'm not dependent on God. I'm an independent man. I'm an independent woman. I call the shots. And sometimes my will does line up with God. But I'm the king. It doesn't have to be that way, though. We can fix it going to take seeing where we've rejected God as king in our lives. So I want us to take a few moments of quiet to ask our Heavenly Father to show us where we have rejected His authority, where we don't have enough humility to say, God, I need you. And if during this time you want to text me, talk about this, I'd love to do that. You can do that through the number on screen.
0: As we pray together, read the words in bold aloud with me. Let us pray. Jesus, we declare that you are King. You have all power and authority over this world and our lives. We are sorry for the ways in which we have rebelled against your authority in our lives. Forgive us in your great love, for the Lord is a great God, a great King above all other gods. Now, allow your heavenly Father to reveal to you ways in which you have rebelled against his authority in your life. Acknowledge and confess those sins, remembering that there is no fear of shame in His presence. Let us continue to pray. Jesus, we acknowledge that we have rejected you as King. And we know that this rebellion has done damage to ourselves and to others. So we declare now that we need you, not only for your love and forgiveness, but also your authority over our lives. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. Now in the silence, would you be willing to invite God to lead you in the areas in your life, which you have rejected him as King? And would you pledge your allegiance to him? above your allegiance to your country, your politics, or your opinions. Would you pledge your trust and allegiance to King Jesus alone? Let us continue to pray. King Jesus, may Your will be done in our lives. Help us to resist the temptation to allow our politics or our personal desires to run our lives. Help us to kneel before you and to submit to your authority for our lives. Help us to trust that you alone are good and that you know what is best for us. For the Lord is our God. We are the people he watches over, the flock under his care. For it is in the name and under the authority of King Jesus that we pray, amen.
1: So what's it going to take for us to make God king? What does it take for us to be dependent on God? Well, it's going to take humility. Humility comes, like we said at the beginning of this series, with the first step of the 12 steps of recovery. I must admit, I'm powerless to control the outcomes of my life. I've tried and I've failed. I need a higher power to take control. That's humility. See. Pride convinces me that if I'm smart enough, and I'm rich enough, or successful enough, or powerful enough, if I'm the one who has all the right answers, and if I convince people to follow me, and if I do all the right things, then maybe I can control the outcomes in my life. But it's just an illusion. We can't control the outcomes. I mean, no matter how good we do at anything, we are not in control of what other people think or do, certainly what happens in our country or our world. There are outcomes that are out of our control and a truly humble person enters every situation without trying to control people or outcomes. They ask God and others for what they want, but they trust, if I need it, God will give it to me. He's in control of the outcomes. And this is something the brother of Jesus wrote about nearly 2000 years ago. And yes, Jesus had a brother. His name was James, and he called his brother King Jesus. Now, not at first, because you wouldn't call your brother that either. But after his death and resurrection, James was convinced and he ended up being a leader in the early church. And this is what James wrote to believers. See how timely this is. What is causing the quarrels and fights among you? If James was writing in 2020, he might ask, what causes all your flame wars on Facebook? What causes the political turf wars in our world? What causes all the tension at your family get-togethers between your conservative uncle and your liberal niece? What's the real reason you have so much hatred for the left? Or so much contempt for the right? James says, Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? Um, no, James. The reason we fight, the reason there's so much strife in my relationships, is because I'm right and they can't see it. They need to be educated so they can see how right I am. Why is there so much outrage? Because they're wrong and they're ruining this country. James says, No, you have some desires within you, and they're at war. He continues, You want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. And maybe not physically, but you assassinate their character. You cut the relationship off and you treat them like they're dead to you. You think their beliefs or their party somehow threatens your ability to control and get what you want, and so you fight. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. James is saying, even when you pray and ask God, it's just an act. You're not really trusting God. You're just hedging your bet. You're saying, God, I really hope you'll do what's best for our country. But trust me, I'm going to scrap and I'm going to fight to make sure what I want happens, whether it's best for anyone else or not. Look at this. You adulterers. And you're like, that's a left turn. What in the world does adultery have to do with this? And James explains, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And we're back to the central point here. You're rejecting God as king. James says, Your desire for control and to get your way all the time, it isn't bad manners. It's a betrayal to God. Jesus often used the imagery of people entering into his kingdom as being like a wedding ceremony. God is wedding himself to us. And when we refuse to be humble and we try to seize control for ourselves, it's like we're betraying our relationship with him. Every flame war, every political turf war, it is spiritual adultery. You are looking toward your politics rather than God for what you want most in life. You believe you can get it for yourself. It's just pride. James says, do you think the scriptures have no meaning? They say that God is passionate, that the spirit He has placed within us should be faithful to Him, and He gives grace generously. Now, grace is the power of God working in our lives. So as the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Do you wanna see the power of God transform your life? Do you wanna see the power of God transform our country? God gives His grace and power to the humble, to those who admit these problems are too big for me. So I'm totally dependent on God. I don't know what's best. I don't know that I'm right. And so I'm not gonna force my way. I'm gonna trust God and be obedient to what He calls me to do. Here's the promise. So humble yourselves before God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come close to God and God will come close to you. We can turn this around. I mean, the problems in our lives, and our families, our neighborhoods, our country, our world. If just those of us who call ourselves Christians would humble ourselves enough to admit we need God. Our politics won't fix this. Our fighting and outrage won't fix it. But if we humble ourselves, if we get to the point where we enter into every situation with the belief You know, I don't control the outcome of this situation. No matter how much arguing, how good my argument, no matter how clear my point of view, I still don't control the outcome of this situation. If I can be humble enough to admit I can't fight my way out of this problem and I simply turn to God, things can change. James says, wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That brings us back to the central problem. We don't want God to be king. We want to be king. We're trusting a politician, a political party, a movement, or a piece of legislation to transform our world. But it's only the power of God that's going to get this done. Here's something else that we don't really want to hear. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up and honor. Humility is often accompanied by lament and repentance. When I'm face to face with how much damage I've done, with how I've rejected God and chosen to fight for control, when I'm face to face with the brokenness in my life and in our country and realize, hey, I share some of the blame here. Not pointing fingers at others, not blaming anyone else, but doing what we've been trying to do the past few weeks. When I look at my own sin and my own lack of humility that I'm led to a point of genuine sorrow. Here's the promise. If we truly repent of our sin and our lack of humility, if we truly turn from trying to control our own lives and give control to God, if we truly humble ourselves, then He will lift us up. We may not get our way. Our Our party may not win the election. The people we most want to admit how wrong they are may continue on believing that I'm the one in the wrong. But if we humble ourselves, give up control, give up the fight and submit to God as king, if we become truly dependent on God where we don't feel the need to fight for power because we believe his justice will always win out, meaning if what I want is really what God wants, then no political party, no president, no Congress can stop it. It may not happen now or in my lifetime, but at some point God will make all things right. And if I humble myself, and live completely dependent on Him, He will lift me up in honor. Humility is power because it forces me to trust in God's power. And here's the picture the Bible gives us. On the night before Jesus was killed, He came before God in prayer and asked God for what He wanted, which was to not go to the cross. He asked God, if there's any other way for this to be done, will you take this cup of suffering away from me? And Jesus didn't get what He wanted. But he was humble and obedient to God. One writer of the Bible said it this way. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He was humble. He didn't force his way to control the outcomes of his life. He trusted God. He gave up the outcomes of his life to his loving Heavenly Father. And here's what happened. God exalted him. He lifted him up to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did Jesus and his followers win political power? Did the Jewish and Roman leaders admit they were wrong? No, they kept persecuting them. In the kingdom of this world, Jesus was still a criminal killed on a cross. But in the truest reality, he was the king of all kings. He found true power, which is God's power. This is the picture of the Christian life. Power in weakness. Life from death, victory from defeat, honor from humility. And this is what we celebrate when we receive the meal of communion every week. We use emblems of bread and juice to remember Jesus' body and blood given in humility and obedience on the cross for us. So if you're a follower of Jesus, would you get those emblems right now and you can use whatever you have with you today? But if you're not sure you believe all that we do, don't feel the need to participate, but maybe use the next few minutes to reflect on all you've heard today. Is it possible that God is a better king of your life than you can be? Maybe take a moment and offer a prayer to God asking if he's real he make himself real to you I believe he wants to do that but for followers of Jesus remember that communion is not something we take it's something we receive we couldn't earn this for ourselves it's not something to be grasped under our control it's a gift of Jesus given for us to receive so as we listen to this next song which is just a song of surrender a declaration of dependence on God Would you receive the gift of grace and eternal life from your heavenly Father that was purchased with the body and blood of Jesus? Would you commit to Him that you will live in humility with Him as your King? Let's do that now.
3: Oh God, how I need you. Where sin runs deep, your grace is more. Where grace is found, is where you are. to you when temptation comes my way and when I cannot stand I'll fall on you Jesus you're my hope and stay so
4: teach my soul ¡Gracias!